I'm Kyle McNulty, and you're listening to Secure Ventures, the show that follows cutting-edge founders in the cybersecurity space to understand their plights, glories, and revolutionary products. This episode was recorded live at Blue Ventures Cyber Venture Forum event back in October. A huge shout out and thank you to the Blue team for putting together an awesome event. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. Mike, thank you for, for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for making time. Appreciate it. Yeah. So tell me a little bit more about your background, kind of how you started in security. You were at Verisign for almost 12 years. You're doing a host of different business development roles. What was it that was kind of calling you to towards that intersection of business development and cyber? You know, the funny thing is um, I've done RSA keynote speeches and I start always start in the same way. I actually started in security in 1988, when I joined, uh, uh, raised my right hand and joined uh, the military at West Point. Mm. So uh, I would say my career started in physical security. And um, um, there was a time where it wasn't politically correct, but we like we were uh, the, the Russians, uh, the Soviets were enemy number one then. And then things changed. And now they're back to being kind of enemy number one when it comes to security. So I'd, I like to say, like, I first spent the first 10 years of my career just chasing Russians around the physical security <laughs> landscape and the last 20 chasing around cyberspace. So that's uh, the transition out of the military. I, uh, I came to the, um, uh, the capital area, DC area, and uh, found uh, different opportunities uh, around supporting the national security. But the one that caught my eye was uh, in the late 90s, this small company called Network Solutions. It was called the Internet at the time. Mm -hmm. And they were doing the infrastructure for DNS, so for every domain name. And uh, I kind of learned product management and software development and SaaS before we called it SaaS. (laughs) Um, and that was kind of the early days that that led into opportunities inside of VeriSign uh, um, that resulted in uh, uh, moving to identity and access management inside a company called uh, Computer Associates, yeah. later Verizon. And then I got into the startup world, um, you know, about uh, nine years ago. Hmm. And so you mentioned this kind of early experience, a lot of product management, software development. What did that transition into the business development side of things look like? Yeah, I I think um, the product management is a great place just career-wise for people because you see it all, right? You're trying to balance the needs of the customer with the capabilities of your software developers with what the marketing organization wants to do. And you still want to be innovative. So a lot of that product management um, really led itself to a more of a general management mm. uh, business leader uh, with with kind of a strong product background. So I um, I have a lot of folks. They say like if you're if you're somebody that really understands the technology, but you can talk to customers and and serve as that middle ground, it's a very hard job. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, but it's really a great uh, product management. I think is often overlooked of its uh, key function within any kind of. Uh, security, uh, whether it's startup, especially early, it's kind of overlooked as a key key hire within an organization. Yeah. So then thinking about that business development experience before we keep moving here, Verizon, CA, Science Logic, mm-hmm. what were or were there any like kind of key strategies that you found yourself continuing to use across these different organizations that you found particularly successful? Um, you know, I think you, you look at any executive's background, they're going to lather, rinse, and repeat, right? Yeah. I think um, a key would be to get alignment. 
like alignment in the organization about what is the strategy well communicated down to the every single person in the organization it's a it's a tried and true measure within mm. the military and then you apply it to a business and or and the organization feels connected and i would say the consistent thing well they're very different businesses where i would get everybody rowing in the same direction mm. right and then i'd get them um excited about that that journey uh, that's kind of mission one, day one. Uh, the second thing is I'd get leverage. You need, really need um, leverage in the business. Say, okay, how do we do this once and then not have to do it over and over and over again? Hmm. And so move on. So the, uh, the kind of alignment leverage is, uh, is key. Um, you know, and, and then you focus in on the right target uh, and you go from there. And, and don't be afraid of course corrections, right? Like, um, if you need to, and sometimes it's a go-to-market course correction, and sometimes it's a technical product uh, course correction. And you mentioned this idea of getting everyone excited about that strategy, certainly something that translates to the whole startup world and, and yeah. your role at SecureG now. Any particular tactics that you use in order to get everyone excited? Uh, a couple things. One would be uh, the participation. Uh, you know, nobody likes to be told from on high. Like, everybody feels like they can contribute to it. Yeah. And and it, it takes time to do it. Uh, but the benefits of it far outweigh the time invested to do it. So making sure people are participating in the process of what is the strategy? What's Where are we good at? What can we be the best at? And, and asking some very simple questions and hearing it from all the employees mm -hmm. and, and at least, it, and maybe some of them won't speak up. So you have to also provide different venues because sure. uh, some are better with writing. Some want to give it to you afterwards. Some just want to take it in and digest it and bring it back a, a few days or a few weeks later. But the important part is the participation and broad participation across the organization where all the voices are heard. And you just got to be cognizant of the fact that you can't just listen to the folks that are, you know, the loudest, you know, I've been in that category. You're probably in that category, <laughs> but you got to make, you got to draw it out of everybody. Right. Yeah. Okay. And so you have this, again, series of roles as a leader in these different businesses, and then you decide to go to the investor world and you joined Blue. I think this was 2018 or yes. so. Yeah. What was the rationale behind you know, this change? I loved it. I, so what what happened was I had uh, done a little bit of angel investing, mm. and um, uh, what I realized is I had seen things and done things in my roles at Verisign, Verizon, and uh, CA uh, that were uh, could help early stage companies get better organized, get better focused, get better leverage, have a better go to market, and what came second nature to me were were really appreciative early stage companies hmm. and and it was very rewarding frankly it's uh, to be able to kind of give of your experience and i didn't think anything of it because that was just how it was built that infrastructure was built and each one of the early stage larger companies brought an element of uh you know creativity of go to market of technical excellence of software development process, of how to do um, uh, agile software development in a scaled environment. All of these things I, could, I brought to these early, and it was very rewarding. So what happened was uh, having done a couple angel investments and being brought in almost as a free advisor because I wanted to see how my money was doing, <laughs> right. uh, I really then found Blue through a couple of the partners that said, hey, we really want to double down on cyber. We think there's a unique advantage here in the Washington, D.C. market with a number of talent 
you know, like the 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 this area in particular between uh, the the major agencies that protect the country have been fighting nation state attacks since boy before it was popular. Have been trying to do the sharing of data and vulnerabilities since people branded it and named it. So I think it's really you know it created an incubator of a lot of talent. And really, what this area is short on is go to market skills and and uh, and and taking the and so what. What we saw as an opportunity in Blue is if we combined business expertise with a technical expertise that's latent within uh, the U.S. public sector agencies and um, and um, uh, companies that are servicing that market, we think we could create a better value for investors, but also a safer country, right? And a, and a, and some innovative breakthrough uh, technologies, right? And so you'd gain some lessons just as an investor at least from this angel experience before blue Mm -hmm. presumably after joining blue you had this kind of new uh, exposure to a variety of different companies right just a much bigger scale than what you'd done previously as an angel Mm -hmm. are there any kind of salient takeaways you can point to as far as building a business just from that much more close contact with all these different founders in the cybersecurity space you know, at Blue, we had the we we we, we talked about the five T's, right? Okay. Which, um, but one of them is way more important. So it was uh, TAM, total addressable market technology, the terms of the deal. Terms. Okay. Um, but the the one that kind of overshadowed them all was team. Yep. And and especially early on, um, the the and now I have a theory of why, right? Like, so I knew. The, to the ones that had the strongest team, the, that had the strongest founders, that had the, the were 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 starting to separate themselves from uh, surviving to thriving. Sure. And it, you really, if you look at the passion of the the leaders in that organization, usually it was two founders, sometimes more. But what I realized over time was the key element of those founders was they articulated a vision and could get other people behind that vision. And what they could do is they could hire better, more, (laughs) right? So the team, the good leaders, the good uh, visionaries were able to attract better talent. Because you're you're you can't always compete on on salary and bonus, right? You had to it had to be a mission driven organization, and and so that that leader that or leaders in these early stage companies, the ones that are most successful are the ones that can attract the right people to deliver and execute. So, it over time, I would say we had the five T's, but team became significantly yep. greater impact because. We're just seeing the returns come uh, from that. Yeah. And there's a nice tie there together with what we were just talking about, right? I, 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 of- I didn't do that on purpose, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, convenient regardless. Uh, so then thinking about the transition to Secure G, right? You had this investor role. It sounds like you were enjoying it. You were getting this experience doing what you had been doing kind of for fun mm-hmm. as an angel investor mm-hmm. full time. What was it that convinced you to kind of step into that role with Security? What did that story look um, like? Security at the time uh, was in the middle of a CEO change. Um, it was the first CEO did some good things, but had more of a telecommunications background, less sure. of a security background. One of the lead partners inside, actually two of them inside of Blue, really had a lot of faith in this kind of long-term business model of what was Secure G was trying to accomplish. Mm. And it has a lot to do with a legacy technology called PKI, yep. taking it to like, its fourth iteration, really, 
virtual and uh, quantum being the main, uh, the, the change in need for security around virtual systems, Kubernetes type environments and 5G environments, as well as the impact that quantum is going to have hmm. and quantum computers are going to have uh, post-quantum cryptography, right? So there's a big opportunity. And then as this partner was laying out, we need somebody with, then he started to lay out technology experience in, you know, <laughs> public sector to, uh, security, um, uh, 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 internet infrastructure, which is kind of a hard one, right? Like having been okay. a bear sign, I was at the, some early infrastructure. So all of those things kind of are like, and I, you know, at the same time, like I like to get my hands dirty, like, and I, and I enjoyed that. So, uh, it's been a education for me, right? Like it's re really been, um, the hardest challenge in my career by a lot. And, but I love it. Right. Like, so, uh, that's when you're, when you're, you know, learning, that's when you're, you know, that's that learning and that growing, man, you can feel it. Uh, <laughs> and especially raising money in this environment. Yeah. Uh, it's been a challenge. I think there's a, some lean six months, uh, for the company. And now we're got our, our next round of funding and we're kind of off to the races. And, um, so, but, those are some challenging uh, things that uh, you know, like I'm glad I'm done with, but I'm glad I did. What was the state of the company when you ended up joining? It was 2022 when you joined, right? The company was founded yeah, early in 2019. 20. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. roughly, so they had years they in. had built some early technology, but not around software. And and they had three customers that were kind of pre-scale, pre-production. I come in and I lose two of those three customers right away. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so I'm lucky I still had a job after like seven months. Uh, but, but it was a, one of them was directly related to a major initiative inside of Micron and uh, what was happening, uh, identity on the, on to the chip. Sure. So um, Micron has been in a, uh, a critical time and their evolution, and, and we're really pinched on margins, and they shut down significant portions of this, and one of them was the one that I came in to help grow. Uh, luckily, we kept our third customer. <laughs> it's really, a, and it's really, um, it's really interesting capability, right? Is that, uh, and, and when I described it this way, most people are like, wow, do I hope you're successful. And what it is, is we're gonna cryptographically sign every phone call. And so that, they, what that means is, if Fidelity or U.S. Bank or Walmart calls you and says, hey, fraud detected on your account, we're going to do an end-to-end -end signed phone call such that an originating phone call from a call center for, for a bank will show up with the bank's logo and a short message. And it's, hmm. a, it's a whitelist approach to what the industry is trying to solve with various iterations of this technology that... Uh, that will provide a significantly higher answer rate. Because I don't know about you, but if I don't know the number, I don't pick it up. Right. Goes to voicemail. If it's somebody real, it's then they'll probably leave a voicemail. If it's a fraudster, they generally don't leave a voicemail. But now to be able to look at the phone and know that that is authenticated uh, will be an incredible value to the industry. And, and I got to give a lot of props to CTIA which has been pulling, you know, the major carriers of uh, the handset carriers together and the, and the VoIP providers to say, okay, how do we do this and turn it into a, a community-wide effort where all existing ecosystems can play. And in that, 
is something that we're doing. We will be uh, the public key, uh, uh, the cryptography hmm. um, gatekeeper that will hand out the certificates to authentic providers of that service, right? And then they will then be able to put that logo and that short message directly on your phone. So when CVS calls and says your prescription is ready, you actually know that. You can pick it up and say, hmm. okay, there's a problem with that or there's a problem with your account because it's just hard to trust that phone call anymore. And this is building trust back into letting you pick up your phone calls. Interesting. What was it about you guys that made it the right choice yeah. to go with as that uh, certificate? So that's a great question because CTIA and the industry did a deep dive on the, because uh, there are public key uh, right. infrastructure <laughs> providers out right. there, legacy that's been around for 30 years. Um, what they realized is dial tone means something to these companies. You know, it's like, they don't like, it, it, three nines, five nines. No, we don't want to talk about that. We want to talk about a hundred percent. Sure. And, um, there is real focus on, Hey, we are critical infrastructure and anything that, uh, Cadell communications industry does, it has to be bulletproof, right? It has to be. And, and so what they didn't have is the, so, um, CTI helped seed us, uh, because we wanted to build this as if it was critical infrastructure from the ground up. And that was what was different because PKI had been built for websites and it's been around for a long time. My first company, Verison, that's how you know it got known. And other companies have built things to authenticate people and other, other companies have been built things to authenticate IoT and things. This was now but much more of a ferial thing. You can, like, it's a phone call. How do you touch it? <laughs> right, How do you right. authenticate a phone call? So it was a unique challenge for the market and they felt like it needed a unique PKI solution. How close are we to this solution at this point today? I would say you will see it start to come up on your phone mid next year. Oh, interesting. So they are uh, two of the three major carriers are in uh, the validating this. Uh, the rest of the ecosystem has to get around get around to supporting it, but they have actually been working on this in a different form uh, called Stir Shaken mm -hmm. since 2018. This is the next version of it that we think will really drive adoption and and drive actually a you will see a consumer benefit, not just kind of an infrastructure benefit. So I would say mid 2024 huh. uh, at, at 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 scale. Um, some. Some folks think that it could be even earlier than that because once you start getting authenticated phone calls and people are going to, it's going to change be user behavior. And it also changed because the, then the handset providers, Apple, Samsung, Google can start building into the operating system of sure. the phone itself. And now we have, you know, you can do a lot more creative things and a lot more um, authenticated things through a phone call. And then what are some of the issues with potentially like spoofing a certificate or creating a certificate that resembles some yeah that's what, that's so. that, that's why we needed to build a new PKI right like that is <laughs> right. happening right the 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 spoofing of the certificate it's all you know it it, it PKI is a hierarchy right you have to chain the, to a root and that root can never be compromised right. it has to be highly secure and offline so um, the, the real challenge for PKI and encryption is what's coming around post-quantum, sure. right? Not that you'll, and you have to do a very strong vetting of the people that you let into the ecosystem that are going to be signing calls. Right. And that's where 
There are other vendors that CTIA is working with. Um, iConnective is the name of the company that's doing a lot of the vetting of the companies themselves to say, are you a legitimate call signer? Right. And that enforcement is going to be pretty heavy handed if you start abusing or you start letting through unauthenticated or invalid phone calls. Yeah, it's a good point of clarification, right? It sounds like this would be very focused on the major call centers and the organizations that actually go through this kind of extensive registration process, as opposed to just like me going and registering and getting a certificate. Yeah, and I, I, I think like, over time, that's probably a couple of years away. I, okay, I, sure. I, I use um, the plumber uh, that I've used um, and, and he has like four vans, but he <laughs> runs his business through his cell phone. Yeah. Right? And if he can authenticate himself and as there becomes a process, he would pay something because it's hard if you're calling from a random cell phone to say, I'm 30 minutes out. Or, hey, I, you have a, like, because they're like, hi, I do have a plumbing emergency. Like, you know, but if you saw Scott Cooper plumbing, you know, you'd be like, yeah, I did. I did need a plumber, right? Like yeah. I had an experience just yesterday where I called somebody, I asked for information, but then I saw that I didn't recognize the number and therefore I didn't pick it up. Sure. I wish I had. And that's the downside is you also miss the good ones because you're afraid of all the bad ones. Yeah. Right. So tell me a little bit more about the rest of the kind of product suite of SecureG, right? Because we dove kind of into this specific use case. Yeah. My understanding is you guys are doing a lot outside of this as well, right? And specifically yeah. like the IoT security world. Yep. How yeah. does your, how do your priorities line up right now? Yeah. That, uh, so we're obviously getting this first major uh, industry-wide successful. But beyond that, you can see there's an opportunity to build across certification across the entire uh, ecosystem. We also see a lot of opportunity in 5G, 5G and a technology called ORAN, uh, which essentially is a virtualized, 5G is a virtualized infrastructure. And so when you have a virtualized infrastructure, you really need to authenticate the components a lot more than, you know, kind of dedicated hardware uh, that, that, you know, 4G and LTE was built on. Sure. So that's going to be another big opportunity. The other is that as we move into this post-quantum world, um, the and the the standards emerge around uh, the larger key form factor. There's gonna there's gonna be a lot of challenges around moving and 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 that transition between you know uh, the traditional Lichter curve keys and post quantum keys, and you're gonna have to be able to do both for some period of time. And we think we'll be able to help a lot of companies be able to handle both uh, the legacy and post quantum algorithms for key exchange. Interesting. So very much doubling down on that kind of management side of things and kind of managing the whole infrastructure as opposed to like specifically the root of trust piece, which I saw is something you guys are doing today. Yeah. Right. right Interesting. Right. Yeah. The root of trust, I think, is the starting point. Right. But it's all of the things you do on top of it. Sure. How do you make it more easily used for virtualized infrastructure, whether that's a Kubernetes infrastructure or ORAN? How do you make it um, yeah, more accommodating to one of the things that the PKI's technology is really good as is a chain of custody. And we see so many challenges today around the extended supply chain. So where traditionally companies built applications in a silo, right? You're seeing much more integration across that, right? And, and that uh, security trust uh, becomes it, that much more important as you're building, you know, cross-organization uh, uh, applications. Yeah. So talk to me a little bit more about the kind of capabilities within that and the differentiation, right? What is it that makes 
like the secure G model more effective for virtualized infrastructure as opposed to some of the other players that are just well, in space? Well, I, I think um, <laughs> there's some development work that has to be done. This, this is not an off-the-shelf thing. Sure. And and I think what's hap- what, what we're seeing right now is that uh, it, the 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 key the the ca it's not we're not going to do the key management but the certificate authority the speed and scale that they're operating is going to be very different right so when you're issuing a certificate to a website that's a finite number right when you're when you're talking about every single you know um street light it's a different (laughs) number right and so now i wouldn't necessarily consider that critical infrastructure but um it's just the volume the scale the speed is going to be um you know, with each iteration, each generation is going to get faster and more that that requirement. So a lot of it is the speed with which. And, and I think the other thing, too, is when you think about certificates today, what do you get a one year or three year or 10 year certificate? These are going to be when you issue a certificate for a phone call, it's going to be 24 hours or five hours or something very small. Right. Because, you know, the environment change, you want them to come back and re-authenticate. And 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 I think that is going to be put you and unique strains on it. Hmm. Uh, last thing I'd say is that um, there's a lot of intelligence built into uh, what we used to call the certificate revocation list or CRL. We call it OCSP now, hmm. which essentially is are are there are there any certs you want to say are bad now or compromised or no longer valid? I think there's going to be a lot of intelligence into that that'll help you know. When you're talking about controlling automated, artificial intelligence-driven systems, physical things, you're going to need a significantly greater visibility and granularity into known good, known bad, and and the others. Interesting. So almost like threat intelligence for the different certificates. Exactly. And- That's exa- exactly the way to think about it. It's analytics and threat intelligence around the certificates themselves. Hmm. And as we look at the marketplace, it's a menagerie uh at pki is very hard to manage right of poorly maintained expired certificates <laughs> unmanaged certificates right and so that if, if you had badges to employees getting into you know that would not be good but we have certificates out there uh behaving poorly mm-hmm. and we're going to help solve that problem so talk to me a little bit more about this whole post-quantum idea right mm-hmm. because certainly this is a big buzzword or at least concern for a lot of the security world today. You've mentioned it in terms of just its relevance and something that you guys are going after. What's your perspective in terms of preparing for that today and and kind of what you're doing now that's getting yourselves towards that world? So I think the first thing that has to happen is the finalization of the standards, right? So we stay very involved in the standards that um, you know, uh, the NSA and NIST are putting out. So we have employees that are participating in the post-quantum standards. So we'll understand that. Well, For most other companies, what I would say is uh, uh, organize and manage your certificates today and then be ready, you know, follow the standards as they emerge. And it's one of those things. It reminds me like another Y2K, right? It's like, but without a hard deadline until... Some something bad happens, right? So I do think that following the standards, keeping up on on that, and then for us, we want to engage with companies that say, "Hey, I I want to adopt post quantum because what I'm sending is critical." That's where a lot of our 
U.S. public sector um, prospects and customers are like, can can you help us think through an architecture that accommodate existing uh, and and future? Uh, uh. Huh. Okay. And so we've talked a lot about the kind of future of security, some of these capabilities, where the industry as a whole is headed. What is it that you're kind of most focused on selling today? Yeah. I I think what we're smoking today we're uh, the root of trust, right? Okay. It's a really a, the root of trust and the certificate authority for critical infrastructure. Sure. So and and in particular, where scale is a requirement, where speed is a requirement, um, and and so that's where we're really focused on. So definitely the telecommunications vertical um, and the energy. Um, and 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 we've seen some really good um, traction within. Uh, kind of the microchip and the and the industry, the very granular, uh, what I'll call kind of the technology supply chain, the physical technology supply chain, because there's a lot of counterfeits in the market. There's a need, and and certificates can help authenticate the identity of some of the most granular components that make up the the technical supply chain. So we we continue to see interest in that, both from uh, industry, automobile industry is th- think about this. If you could authenticate, uh, all the way down to the chip level, you can now turn on and off services. And you hear a lot about what Tesla talks about. This is like, Hey, we're going to sell a car, but then as you're out there, we'll upgrade you to heated seats. So they built this heated seats in there. They just haven't turned it on in your car because you live in Florida, but then you sell the car and the person lives in Minnesota and they want the heated seats, right? So that's a use case where identity authentication, if you build it directly into it, but it gets really complicated as you're starting with a component provider to the end solution provider. And so we're seeing very much interest to say, how do you sell services post delivery of physical things? And, hmm. and, and that's one of the more unique and fun use cases that we were, were evolving on. Right. What about the strategy of kind of balancing the current offerings versus these future capabilities and offerings that, from what you described, sound fairly different, right? In terms of the specific use cases, the the key capabilities and differentiation there. So moving away from root of trust yeah. into more of this differentiated PKI infrastructure, yeah. Yeah. how do you decide as a leader how much effort you spend you know, on each? Uh, um, I, I think part of it is that w- the partner ecosystem, right? Like if we find someone that really wants to go deep on that, we're as a, as a startup, we're not going to be able to deliver that. We got to figure out who they're already working with. Who do they trust to kind of bridge that gap? We're not going to take it all the way to the end, but we can provide the trust infrastructure to do it. So I think that's where um, you don't want to get too far over your skis. And that's where uh, that's where we've really been focused. Saying, okay, yes, that's interesting. Yes, um, but we we really um, what I'll say qualify the companies to say how serious are you about this because this is a multi-year journey that we're going to go on. And if they can bring other um, vendors to the table, uh, you know, we can provide that trust infrastructure and that sure. technology solution. But you'll need a lot of integration into their existing 
production capabilities. Hmm. So when you think about this partnership approach, you're doing this kind of through a customer where you say, okay, this customer is driving the need and then build the ecosystem of partners to address that need as opposed to getting together with the other providers first and then going and finding Um, customers together. I I think it's always easier if you have a specific use case you're designing against, especially if it's never really been done before, right? It's it, they, they can, because that customer can articulate the pain point in a way that the, you and your ecosystem really can't. Sure. And so if you, if you start with a problem and you work your way back, um, we, we think there's a, there's a lot of important design decisions that will help you not waste a lot of time on the yeah. back end of it. Right. So, so then what is the kind of number one thing on your roadmap right now from just a strategy standpoint? Um, I would say the number one thing uh, from a strategy standpoint is the um, is the analytics behind it, right? It's oh. building that and evolving that high speed and and highly instrumented trust anchor, right? So it's it's the, we want to we there, there's a lot of PKI done wrong out there, and we want to make sure that we leverage the technical tools at our disposal, analytics, artificial intelligence to provide a much clearer picture of people's existing ecosystem of how they've deployed PKI. Mm. Because that solid foundation is good. Then there's a lot of innovation that can happen on top of it. But if you have a really messy uh, deployment, that's going to be a real challenge to build, go from there. Right. Okay. Ceremonial last question for you. Are you currently looking for investment or hiring? You already announced the the raise that you guys Yeah, have. we are not currently. I, I think um, I always, uh, having been on that side, I would say as a CEO, if you're, uh, I'm always interested in having a good conversation with, uh, with VC. And so I, having been in that space, I'd like to get to know um, the thesis and uh, of the, of the of fund. Uh, well before I'm trying to uh, raise money. So I continue to take meetings, you know, two or three a week. Oh, wow. uh, and having been in the industry, um, I uh, I have a lot of connections. And so some of them are a catch-up uh, sure. type of thing. So, yeah. And on the hiring side? We are. Um, the Before we hire broadly, we are in the process of hiring a CTO from a software perspective. So, okay, great. Uh, and we recently had our uh, 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 the key uh, uh, sales hire as well. Uh, somebody I've worked with all the way back in the Verison days selling wow. AI for 20 some years. Nice. Yes. Awesome. Well, yeah, thank you for the time, Mike. Really appreciate thank it. Thank you. Great interview. Nice talking to you. Thanks so much for listening to this episode. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and you can write to me at kyle at secureventures.io. I'm Kyle McNulty, and you've been listening to Secure Ventures.